as stupid too as I. You're as stupid too as I. You'll never live. You'll never die. You're as stupid too as I. Welcome back to this Wednesday, you fine little helpers of the Better Off Dead Minute podcast, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Better Off Dead, one bifurcated wiener at a time. We're your hosts, Curtis Blaze from thesacknews.com. And Jason Hummel from Mondo Confidential. Today we are examining Minute 13, which starts with Roy breaking Charles' heart and ends with a wiener getting cut in half. <laughs> How was your Tuesday, Jason? Tuesday? Ugh. Work, work, work. What is it you do exactly? I sling chicken into that's, a fryer. That's funny. On your Facebook page it says you're a writer. Well, it doesn't say I get paid to write. <laughs> well, I've had the chicken. It is the best chicken that I've ever had, at least in this town. Though something you told me earlier <laughs> disturbs me a little bit. <laughs> but I won't go into that. It is church night here in Sac City, Iowa, so we're going to get a little podcasting done. Jason, you'll make a fine little helper. <laughs> yes, uh, minute begins with uh, Roy saying... You'll make a fine little helper. What's your name? And Charles responds to Roy with such an innocent, hopeful smile on his face. Your heart just melts for the guy. But seconds later, Roy tells him, shut up, geek. And his smile just melts off his face like the Nazis looking into the Ark of the Covenant Raiders. (laughs) Oh, Charles. He's in love with Roy. You can tell that Curtis is playing this as if he's in love with Roy. But everybody's a little in love with Roy. That's what makes him such a good bad guy. Yeah. I mean, how often you have that in a movie where everybody loves the bad guy? Well, yeah, it's an unexpected thing. And it comes into play later on, as I recall. Yeah. There's evidence to suggest that even Barney Rubble loves Roy a little bit. (laughs) Which is awkward, him being a cartoon and all. Save it. (laughs) (laughs) So Roy then asks Beth what her name is. And she tells him, obviously, Smitten. Uh, that her name's Beth. She does it in just the little, just just little girl voice. Just Beth. <laughs> it's so cute. You just want to snuggle her up. So he hands her the clipboard, and it's almost as if she's too overcome to speak. The camera goes back to a medium shot of everybody, and you see her silently mouth the words "Thank you." <laughs> and the way she takes the clipboard so gently, so carefully, like it's a baby, like it's Roy's baby. She doesn't want to drop it. This clipboard does a lot of changing throughout uh, this scene, or this minute. Sometimes it's got one piece of paper. Sometimes it's got ten pieces of paper. Sometimes the pieces of paper are wet and curled up. Some of the pe- sometimes the pieces of paper are dry and perfectly flat. I don't know if you noticed that. In uh, Hollywood, we call that continuity schmontinuity. <laughs> Roy holds his hand out and greets Lane in Spanish. Lane, not to be outdone, answers him in Spanish. Roy uses the moment to suggest that they share a common desire. Wait a minute. The desire to both speak in Spanish? (laughs) No. From his not-so-subtle glance at Beth, we can tell that he means Lane's girlfriend. Uh... But he pretends that he means the desire to be part of the well-oiled machine that is Greendale High School's ski team. Lane starts to agree with him, and Roy interrupts him with an enthusiastic shove. Meant to look... Like an encouraging pat. Like an encouraging pat or... An attaboy. Yeah. Yeah, like an attaboy. 
but he ends up knocking Lane into an entire line of skiers that fall down like dominoes. Not only does he get knocked over, but his girlfriend takes a beat to look at him, and then just makes the decision to leave him on the ground and run after Roy. I swear to God, there's a point there, after he gets knocked down, it's John Cusack still chewing the gum that he's been chewing for the whole scene, <laughs> but it coincides perfectly with a noise that somebody makes, and it looks like he's going, son of a bitch! <laughs> it really like does. That. Yeah. Oh, so you noticed that too. Yeah, but it could just be chewing. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing. After the, after the noise that kind of sounds like the beginning of Son of a Bitch, he continues to chew. Yeah. He's still got the gum. I wonder if Kuzak kept the gum in his mouth, the same piece of gum, the entire time that they were shooting, or if he had to keep, or if some continuity girl kept having to give him more gum. Here, don't forget, <laughs> chewing yeah, so, gum. Yeah, because... If it was the same piece, it would be like an old tire. By the oh, end man, of... that was just... Especially in the cold. Oh, God. <laughs> be a cold, brittle tire. My impression, when he knocks the line of skiers over like dominoes, did it seem kind of like he threw himself into them? Like, it wasn't completely Roy's push that did it? I mean, I know I know the mo- in the movie, he's depicting being pushed into the yeah. line. But... When you actually look at it, does it look like Kuzak sort of threw himself more violently to emphasize the push? He definitely rolls with it. It knocks him out of his skis. Yeah. Which, by the way, you not being a skier, I'll let you know, he's on his skis at the beginning of the scene. Mm -hmm. And he falls backwards. And backwards is a very hard way to fall out of skis. (laughs) You have to like... Like what happens is there's a clip and you have to sort of go forward in order to get your, your shoes out. Yeah. So he really flies out of those skis when he gets pushed. Now, the people that he gets pushed into, there are... I forgot to count. Did you count? Nope. Okay. But it looks like half a dozen, at least. Or five. Yeah, five or six people. They just all go down. Yep. Burp. I was a little afraid for the last one. <laughs> the last one, it didn't quite look like they were going to get hit, but... Uh, the, the second to last one managed to reach out and make enough contact with him to make it believable. <laughs> and well, uh, well, I'll talk about that in a second. The, uh, so after he goes down, well, okay, I want to talk about this now. <laughs> there's, this, there's this guy in the audience. I'm not saying that he's necessarily an old guy, and I'm not saying that he's necessarily a homeless guy, but he definitely looks like an old homeless guy. Yeah, he's got a serious beard. You kind of have to look for it. This guy's got a this guy's got a real serious beard. He's probably if I was going to be kind, I would say he's he's a minimum of 35 years old in this yeah. scene. And he's standing behind the team and he appears to be part of the team. And you know, Curtis Armstrong, not uh he he's depicting someone who's old for high school. Yeah. This movie doesn't really suffer from grease syndrome. We don't have a bunch of 40-year-old high schoolers running around. But this guy, nobody grew their beards in the 80s. And certainly no high schooler had that luxurious and full of a beard. Well, except for ZZ Top. (laughs) But yeah, it's an anomaly. This actor is funny. He's obviously just an extra that's standing there. My guess would be he's part of the crew. Could be. Just called in to, uh, to fill out the crowd a little bit because they're on the side of a mountain. Yeah. They need an extra, extra. For all I know, they would completely stop filming to go get a couple more people to come up to the mountain. But it just seems like you get the gaffer to go yeah. stand in the back. 
And it's funny because he, like throughout the scene, a lot of things change. There's magical skis that move. First, they're behind Curtis Armstrong. Then they're behind John Cusack. The bearded guy moves. First, he's behind Curtis Armstrong. And then he's like behind this guy with... Like a blue windbreaker, huh? Yeah, and like a great mullet. And during that part of the scene, you can see him like he's bouncing up and down as if he's cold. But putting myself into his place, I know that what's going on there is I want to be able to spot myself easily on screen. So I'm going to be the bouncing up and down guy. Right? Yeah. So when he points himself especially, out Especially later. if I'm not a professional extra. This is what makes me think he's not a professional extra. This is what make th- makes me think he's crew. He's like, ooh, I get to be on film. So he's bouncing up and down. Yeah. And then there's a point where, the second point where everybody, everybody magically moves within a half a second during the conversation, and he's behind that guy. But then you kind of see him bounce up and down, and, he, and then you kind of see his face poke over the side, kind of <laughs> trying to get into the camera. <laughs> I love that guy. I want, him to be the ex- I want him to be an extra in every scene for the rest of the movie. <laughs> I might write fan fiction about him. <laughs> well, anyway, that's that's my thing. Uh, the the scene concludes with Roy, his henchmen, two of his henchmen, not all three of them. Roy, two of his henchmen, and Beth standing at the bottom of the hill yeah. while Lane is getting ready to ski down to try to qualify. Now, the henchman that's missing, this guy, so far he has been the most standout henchman that Roy has. Yeah. Uh, did you, in that last scene, during the same conversation I'm talking about where everything was magically changing and Roy is handing Beth the clipboard, he does this great like look where he's obviously not allowed to talk. Yeah. He's not a featured extra. But he does this thing where he turns his head and she says Beth or something and he turns his head all snarkily and at the other guys and goes, Beth, who? <laughs> He gives that, oh, right, kind of look. Right, right. Like, Roy's going to score tonight. I want to see these henchmen be in the rest of the movie, too. I want Bearded Guy, and I want the three henchmen. Did we talk about him yesterday, the henchmen? No. These guys are great. I've never caught on to this in any viewing of the movie before that Roy even had henchmen. I just always was under the impression it's Roy, and then there's just people around. So I'm looking forward to seeing if... uh, if they keep this up, like if they're at the dance with him. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did talk about this. It's like yeah, the Back to the Future guys. Biff's, yeah. Biff Tannen's Back to the Future yeah. guys. Biff's cronies. Biff's cronies. They had names, though. They were like 3D. What were their names? Oh, <laughs> oh man, it's been so long. We should, we should ask the uh, Back to the Future guys. Yeah, I, re- I remember 3D, yeah. Well, anyway, the only real problem I have with Roy's henchman is that Except for Silent Beth Guy, which, by the way, that's his name to me now. I don't know about you. (laughs) The other two don't really differentiate themselves enough to get nicknames yet. Much less, well, you know, I didn't check the credits. Maybe their name is in the credits. No, because they're just extras. Yeah. They just picked three guys and just keep using them in the same scenes. Although Beth Guy does have a speaking role in the very next scene. Okay, so here's what happens. In the very next scene, like I say... The two henchmen, Beth and Roy, are standing at the bottom of the hill, and he said, and Roy tells someone on the walkie-talkie to bring the next, to send the next victim down. That next victim is going to be Lane. Yeah. The guy he's talking to the walkie-talkie to is uh, henchman Beth guy. Yeah. So, 
Roy finds out that Lane Meyer is the next person to come down the ski slope to try to qualify and makes an Oscar Meyer wiener joke, or at least starts to. <laughs> in the middle of the minute, in the middle of the minute, wiener, cut right in half. <laughs> and I think we all know how painful that can be. And so now Lane's name is Oscar for this scene. I noticed there's a shot when uh, Roy is handing the clipboard to Beth, then Charles is looking on, looking really resentful and just jealous as all get out. Are you talking about the scene where Roy decides who's getting the clipboard? Yes. Okay, so it's like near the beginning of the minute. So what are you saying? Like, Curtis Armstrong was looking jealous? Yes. I gotta see this. Oh my God, yeah. Like, you can see how badly he wishes that he were the one being handed the clipboard. It's a great piece of acting by Curtis Armstrong. You know, that guy just impresses me more and more. For being the zany sidekick, he really puts a lot into this. Definitely. I mean, he really brings a lot to every scene he's in. And it's subtle, but it's so there. He's so the character. Yeah. And I'm not making a joke. I mean, I know it seems like I could be because he's just the guy that snorts jello later on to try to get high. <laughs> but there's a lot of depth to this guy. Yeah. He really he really creates a lot of character out of what he's given. Kudos Curtis Armstrong. No wonder this guy has worked so much. Yeah. Well, and with that, do you have anything else you want to talk about in this minute that you've noticed? Well, I noticed uh, Beth taking the cap off uh, Roy's pen with her mouth. And then I'm wondering what that means. <laughs> what do you think it means? Uh, two words, oral fixation. I don't know if I agree with you. Did, did she, like, go down on the pen to take it off? Or was it just a normal grab-it-with-your-teeth kind of take it off? Because well, remember, she's wearing, like, snow mittens. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it was in the mouth pretty deep and for, you know, just kind of hanging there for a second. Like, she was savoring it. Well, uh, let's let the listeners decide. You guys can go check out this minute, which starts at, look at me not knowing, starts at minute 12, <laughs> and you can check it out for yourself and judge whether or not you think that's what, what was happening. I will say this, based on her later career, Amanda Weiss does give it her all, particularly lately with her, well, not even lately. She's become kind of a scream queen. Yeah. You know about her? I mean, you know yeah. about her further career? Um, well, I know about her 80s career um, in Nightmare on Elm Street and Fast Times at Regimont High. Okay, I'm IMDb now. And, uh, whoa, Silverado. It's like one of my favorite movies. I think 1985, same year. Yep. Oh, please tell me Phoebe wasn't a hooker. <laughs> it's a Western. What are the odds? <laughs> she could have been somebody's nice wife. She could have been like the Bell Star, you know, the Annie Oakley. Oh, a lot of CSI for her. Dexter. She was in Dexter as Popping Cherry, the social worker. I guess I'm under the impression of her being sort of a scream queen because she did, like, really make a name for herself in... Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street, and, like, To Die For. And, but really, that's my mother's secret life. A killer in the family. But really, she has gone on to, wow, this this woman really works. There's your St. Elsewhere connection. Oh, my God. Don't even get me started on St. Elsewhere. <laughs> Diagnosis murder, Jag, Dexter, which I already said. 
capture. So what's all these short things she's been in lately? Assassin's Fury. Yeah, that's that's her newest stuff. Says it's in post production. The Hatred. The Watcher of Park Avenue. Sounds creepy. I'm looking forward to seeing this stuff. Well, anyway, we're running a little long. After the show ends, go immediately to the internet and check us out at betteroffdeadminute.com or, better yet, send us an email at bodminute at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or a text at 712-830-7373. If you tell us your Better Off Dead story on voice, we'll use you on the air. And as always, please relieve a good review at iTunes and share and retweet our show. Spread the word. If everybody tells two people, I mean 11. If everybody tells 11 people, (laughs) then by the end of the month, we'll have 22 listeners. (laughs) Hey, and I'd like to say a special thanks to The Fifth Elements, Crystal Beth, for being the keeper of the podcast and keeping the ever-growing database of podcasts straight so that we all don't have to do our own. She's an angel. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow on the Better Off Dead Minute podcast, Minute 14.